Here we are, opening up the Word of God together today, knowing that it's not just dull words on a page, but God's living presence being breathed into us. I don't know about you, but I need some breath. I need some of God's life in me. So let's just open our hearts, take a moment just to Settle ourselves in your chair if you want to get comfortable or get uncomfortable. (laughs) No, that's my job. I will make you uncomfortable. (laughs) No, no, that's Holy Spirit's job. (laughs) Um, As we get ready to open up and and look at the final chapter of our installment um, going through this series on uh, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. So here we are, getting ready. Get ready if you have your your Bible app or your Bible, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7 in just a minute. Oh, um, this was a while ago, and I'm not going to say when it was, um, but a while ago I was, uh, it could have been a few months or a few years, who knows, I was following this news story very closely, um, and it was about this green lawn that over a series of, of, of several days sort of took a dramatic turn. And it was uh, a very famous green lawn because it was on, uh, it was by a very famous White House. Guess that White House. And over a period of a couple days, uh, a sinkhole had opened up on this green lawn. And the landscaping crew had to come in and actually like repair it because, so people wouldn't fall through and get themselves injured. And of course, uh, if you were following the story at the time, uh, comedians out there were just having a field day. They're like, oh, the jokes are writing themselves. Um, and so there was a sinkhole that, that opened up, and um, that kind of made me more interested in sinkholes, and I kind of uh, would, would, would look out on the news for them. And I, I read this news article just this past week about a sinkhole that opened up. Um, it was actually in Guatemala. There was this grandmother outside playing with her grandchildren, and there was such a loud noise, it sounded like a car crash from the inside of their house. But there was no car crash, and so she and the neighbors and the kids ran in the house, and everything looked the same. Like, everything looked the same, except they discovered when they walked into her bedroom that a sinkhole had opened up underneath her bed. It's like, this, it's kind of like a very scary movie. Um, no one was hurt. Um, I had a sinking feeling as I was reading about it, pun intended. No one was hurt, but the house had to be condemned. Uh, they were not able to live there anymore because it was unsafe. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the passage in scripture that Pastor Cheryl uh, so brought to life during our cakey message. This picture of two houses, uh, two buildings, two builders, and the specifically the kind of ground it's, uh, they're building on. Um, and one built wisely with the land they were given, and the other one did not. And um, so we're going to be looking at that, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Um, And if we want to go ahead and turn to that, I'll just give you some context for where we are. We are at the very end of our series on mending life. We've been going through the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at how God wants to mend everything that is out of alignment, everything that is torn and broken, everything that is disconnected in us and in our world. This is what the teaching of Jesus is about, wanting to bring God's mending life to us and to the world. We see that through the kingdom of heaven, which is here now in little ways and growing, and when one day will be throughout the whole world. 
So um, we're ending our series on this today, and next week we're actually going to be looking at the book of Jonah um, and beginning our Lenten series as we get ready to approach um, uh, the, the celebration of Jesus rising from the dead, but also the deep commemoration and really being internalized in us what Jesus went through to get there. So that's next week is Jonah, but this week, let's finish up Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn with me in Scripture. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Jesus is speaking. Everybody who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It didn't fall because it was firmly set on bedrock. But everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice will be like a fool who built a house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against that house. It fell and was completely destroyed. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them with someone, like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. That's it. That is our word of the Lord for today. Thanks be to God. So here we have Jesus reaching the conclusion of all of his teaching. It's been teaching that's been going on probably for several hours in scripture. It takes up all of chapter five, six, and seven, and he culminates everything with this picture of these two houses, the two builders, a wise way of building your life and the foolish way of building your life. Now, it's such a simple and well-known parable um, that it's kind of ironic that those of us most often familiar with the parable often misinterpret Jesus' intent. So I grew up in Sunday school. Um, Hands up for those of you who grew up in Sunday school. God bless Sunday school teachers everywhere. They're wonderful. I'm so thankful for them. Also, I grew up thinking uh, a slightly different interpretation of this than perhaps I do now. And uh, basically, I grew up thinking that um, people who build their house on the rock are Christians, and people who don't build their house on the rock are non-Christians. And um, so build your house on Jesus, right, so that your house doesn't fall. This is, totally makes sense because we hear in other scriptures that Jesus is the rock, but Jesus is not using that metaphor here. We can teach that because it's true. That's in other places in scripture. Right here, Jesus is saying something to us that makes us have to dig a little deeper. And Jesus actually plainly interprets the parable for us. Um, verse 24, people who hear Jesus' teaching and practice it. So this is, the, this is who he's talking about. It's not Christians or non-Christians. This is anyone who hears Jesus' teaching and practice it is on one side, and people who hear Jesus' teaching and don't practice it. So those are the two groups. You got it? People who hear and do, people who hear and don't do. And the people who hear and do, that's a wise builder. People who hear and don't do, not so smart. Now, friends, for those of you who've invited the living presence of Jesus into your life, um, to reconcile you to God who loves you and has given all for you, um, to save you in this life and the next, you can rest assured, this is not talking to you. Jesus is not talking, or actually Jesus is talking to you, but he's not talking about your eternal destiny. Let's make that clear. Jesus is not talking about where you're going to go after you die. Jesus is talking about what kind of life we choose to build every single day. And friends, sometimes I belong in that category of people who hear the words of Jesus and do not put them into practice all the time. I would invite you to raise your hand if that's you too, but you might not want that shout out. But rest assured, shout out to all you people out there. Sometimes we hear and we don't do. Oh, 
That's where the pinch is in this text for me today. This is not a self-congratulatory text where we're able to read it and say, yes, I'm building my life on Jesus. We should do that. That is a good thing to do. And there's wonderful scriptures for that. But this text right here invites us. Are we going to be people who hear and do and build wisely or not? And the thing is, you can't really tell. You can't really tell from the surface what type of builder you are, but there, you can, might be able to kind of get, get away with it for a while or fake it for a while until the, the big thing comes that Pastor Cheryl talks about, the wind and the rain and the floods, the storms of life. The storms of life reveal sort of what kind of building we've built. And friends, this world is filled with floods and wind and rain This world is filled with natural disasters of all kinds, not just in our natural world, but in all the other worlds that we're in, emotionally and spiritually and financially and physically, right? We experience hurricanes, many of us experience them in many different parts of our lives with some regularity. I remember growing up as a kid in the Philippines in Southeast Asia, we would have tornado, um, typhoon season with, with disturbing regularity. Uh, every however many months is basically once, once a year, you'd have this a couple year, month chunk of time, and it would be typhoon season. Thankfully, we didn't have tornadoes, but we had typhoons. Typhoons are just another word for a hurricane. And um, when typhoons would come, they would come with either signal one, two, or three. This is what I remember growing up. And I remember signal one, that's not so bad. It's like lots of wind and rain, but, you know, survivable. Signal two, ooh, it's like pushing it. And signal three, you do not want to be anywhere outside. I mean, if you had a bunker, you'd, you'd be in it. But there's, there's no bunkers. There's no basements in the Philippines. So you just really have to hunker down and pray. And so um, I remember once being at school and a signal one typhoon changed to a signal three typhoon. And we all had to just like be evacuated from school. And I remember just like palm trees bent over all the way to the ground. It was terrifying. So many neighbors lost roofs off of their houses. Friends, hurricanes come. Typhoons come. Wind and waves and floods come and reveal what kind of building we've been doing the first one or the second one. And Jesus wants to mend us. He cares about how we're living right now and wants us to build wisely so that we can have a good life, so that when the wind and the rains come, our life is survivable. We can have a, a life that continues on in some way. And this brings us to number one in your notes. Jesus mends me towards wise ways of life building. Jesus mends me towards wise ways of life building when I allow Jesus' teaching to shape me. This is how Jesus mends us. When we allow Jesus shaping, Jesus' teaching to shape me. Uh, we've been going through some of the sketches from this book, um, Sky Jatani's book, um, What If Jesus Were Serious? And um, there's this really great picture that we're going to use for here. And I want to draw your attention just to the sketch first on the left-hand side. You see that house? Uh, what you can't see, or maybe not be able to see very well, is that it is built through layers of sand, soil, down to the rock. You see how this, this house is built? It is not just slapped on top of the sand, but they dug deep. They dug through the sand, through the dirt, to find a firm foundation. Build a life that lasts. 
And so here, that's what they did. This is the wise person. This is the wise person's house. They dug through sand and soil to get to rock. Now, what does the rock represent in this passage, right? We know in other passages it represents Jesus, but in this passage, what does it represent? Let's look. The intellectual answer is A, Christian theology. Build your house on Christian theology. Well, that is the intellectual answer. Then there, well, the answer is the church. Build your life on the rock of the church. Uh, That's the institutional answer, Sky would say. Then we have Jesus, who is our Sunday school answer. You really can't go wrong with an answer. But in this passage, what is it? It's D. The correct answer is obedience to Jesus's commands. That's, that's the answer. What is the rock in this passage? It is building on Jesus's commands, building a life of obedience. And friends, over the last couple chapters, Jesus has done so much teaching. He's revealed who is blessed in the kingdom of heaven. He's mended our preconceived ideas of how God works and who gets to benefit from God's work, right? As God blesses who no one else blesses. We've seen Jesus teaching on how to be salt and light, mending our relationship with our culture, teaching us inside out righteousness, showing us what goodness looks like, mending our tendencies towards hypocrisy, rule-focused living. Jesus has taught us the shape of God's love, mending our posture of how to relate to our enemies, right? leaving space for transformation. Jesus has shown us how to pray, taught us freedom from worry, how not to judge, shown us what fruit to look for. Jesus has taught all of this and so much more. And here Jesus is saying, take me seriously. You've heard my teachings. Be a wise person and dig deep. Go past the sand and the soil till you get to the bedrock of doing what I say. Build your life on that, and you won't be blown away. Your life will have staying power. Now, friends, our lives can can look very much the same from the outside, right? Just like these two houses. They could even be built right next to each other, right? They might be right next to each other on this craggy cliff, but one of them just sort of slapped their floor on the sand, and the other one dug deep. It's because what's most important, Jesus is revealing here, is what's below the surface, what you can't see. This brings us to number two in our notes. Jesus mends me towards wise ways of life building when I prioritize developing the unseen foundations of my life over what is seen. So Jesus mends us towards wise ways of life building, when we prioritize developing this unseen foundation of our life over what is seen. And Jesus tells us this because, frankly, many of us need to hear it. Some of us are building our lives on sand, and we don't even know it. I think Jesus is telling us this because Jesus cares so much. He's like, you don't want to be building there. Your life is not going to have staying power. And friends, I truly believe that if you and I knew we were building our lives on sand, like if Holy Spirit was able just to meet us exactly where we are today and be like, I have some bad news. You are building your life on sand. I have some good news. It doesn't have to be that way. If Holy Spirit could say that to us and we were ready to hear it, um, it would be hard to hear, yes. But you know what? I truly believe every single one of us would be like, okay, sure. I don't want to build on sand. Yeah, let, let, please help me dig deep. That sounds much better. Because even in our natural world, who wants to build on sand? I think that very few people who build a house and are going to live there themselves would build a house on the sand. 
Now, um, unreliable buildings are built all the time, right? Building codes are totally disregarded, people cut costs, bribe building inspectors, but very rarely do the same people who do that live in that same building, right? We don't want to build our lives on sand. There's something intuitive about that. You don't want to live in a building that's cut all the codes and is just sort of precariously perched there. It's not in our best interest. And this brings us just to a basic principle or truth of how the world works. And that's that you and I get to live with the consequences of how we build our lives. And it's in our, our best interest to dig deep from sand to rock to prioritize the unseen over what is seen. I actually really like the way Sky Jatani talks about it in this chapter of the book. He's like, basically what Jesus is saying here is don't be stupid. <laughs> and that kind of made me chuckle, and I thought, I probably, I don't know if I can say that. Good thing the cake here upstairs today, because my son thinks that stupid is, an, is the S word. <laughs> I'm like, oh, honey. <laughs> yes, yes, Sky Jatani uses the S word. It's don't be stupid. <laughs> and so we, we don't want to build on sand. And um, yet sometimes we do anyways. Um, there's another picture. Uh, and this is just building on this principle of what is unseen defines everything. What is unseen defines everything. We have this picture of a tree. You have the visible part of the tree. And then what is unseen are the invisible roots. All right? Are they reaching water? Are they healthy? Are they growing? We have this picture of a swan. And swans look so serene when they're going around a lake. What you don't see below the surface is all the frantic flapping. Have you ever seen a picture of a swan, like partly like over in the water, under the water? They are doing so much flapping under there. So that's unseen, but we see this serene swan on the surface. Then there's a picture of the house. I think he was inspired by the TV show Downton Abbey. And this is a, a TV show set, I think, in the early 20th century, where you have your aristocratic British uh, upper, upper crust family um, living on sort of the top of the house. And downstairs are where all their servants and the butler and the housekeeper sort of bustle about. And all the work of the house gets done uh, in the basement, right, what you don't see. So it's a sort of unseen, um, what is unseen really sets the tone, really defines what you do see. And then for the human, here's you and I. And what we don't see are our unseen patterns of obedience. What is unseen about us defining whether or not our life has staying power. What is unseen about us is the most important. It defines our life. It's unseen, which means that it's easy for us to not give it much attention. It also means that for those people like me who are really motivated by positive affirmation, it means that we don't get positive affirmation for the unseen patterns of obedience. Like, it doesn't happen. So if you're sort of motivated by other people's praise or by affirmation, you don't get any for this, folks. I know. I don't think I've ever gotten affirmation. Someone's like, are you practicing Sabbath? Good job. <laughs> like, oh, you're doing contemplative prayer? You go, girl. Like, no one's done that yet. Um, I should do that to myself. <laughs> and I, I didn't really know this about myself until I was uh, a couple months into a chaplaincy program, and I was uh, going through um, a clinical pastoral education at this medical center, and it's kind of where you're in intensive training with others and uh, learning how to care and provide resources for people who are very sick. And um, you, you kind of have an evaluation every three months, and you, you write down what, what you're doing well, what you want to grow in. And that's when I realized that I was really motivated 
fascinated by the floors where people, um, the, the different wings of the hospital where people knew me and appreciated me and were glad I was there. And the floors of the hospital where it seemed like nobody knew me or no one cared that I was there, it was harder for me to do good work and motivate myself to spend a lot of time on that floor. That's when I realized, oh dang, I'm really motivated by positive affirmation. So this right here, if you're a little bit like me in that area of your life, it means that we have a a, a bigger challenge in some ways to pay attention to what is unseen, to what no one will affirm us for, but what is so important about our life. Because friends, winds are blowing in our world, waters are rising, floods are around us. Are we going to have staying power? The season of Lent is the 40 days between when um, we, we first begin thinking about the journey Jesus takes through the wilderness to his own death, to his own betrayal, and through that to his burial, and through that to his rising. In this period of 40 days, this is the time for us to look at the foundation of our life, to sort of peel back the layers and be like, am I on sand? Have I dug deep? Where might I be invited to dig deeper still? There's a couple, so many resources and books that can help, that can help us. If you have your favorite spiritual formation book, uh, if you're online, put it in the chat section. Um, if you're here in person, come and talk to us afterwards. There's two that I've been going to for a while. They're not very new. One of them is, is Adele Calhoun's book, and I've talked about this before, a Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. I'll keep talking about it till all of us read it together. <laughs> Oh, we're going to be in for a long haul on that one. It's a long book. It it just gives so many different spiritual disciplines. And what I like about it, it's kind of like a um, a dictionary in some ways. And it goes through all these different aspects of our life. And for those of you actually uh, picked up a little handout, do any of you have it right there? It's a little handout of, um, oh, yes. Can I borrow it just for a second? Thank you, Amy. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, so here's a list of spiritual disciplines from her book, and it has seven parts to it. And each part um, is something, uh, sort of a different category of our life, whether it be worship, or opening ourselves to God, relinquishing the false self, sharing my life with others, hearing God's word, incarnating the love of Christ, that's where we get our justice ministries from, caring for the Aina, and praying. So it's all these different aspects of your life that you can kind of look at and be like, where, where do I need to do some digging? Where does Holy Spirit in me want to do some good work? And then there's um, Rich Lotus' book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life. And I, you can see what's below the surface there, right? All the roots. You see the city, but there's all the roots. And he, he goes through five different um, values that he does where he talks about sort of value your weight in your life in these five ways. I think one of them is sexual wholeness, one of them is racial reconciliation and justice. He has these five sort of values to lean into. They're wonderful. So pick up a book. It doesn't have to be one of these. Pick up a book with a friend and start asking God, how might you want to dig deep in me? And we can ask ourselves too, where am I spending time in my life that's unseen and uncelebrated? Can I spend more time there with God? Digging deep. This brings us into number three in your notes. Jesus mends me towards wise ways of life building when I trust that Jesus has the power to make wise living possible. Jesus mends us towards wise ways of life building when we trust that Jesus has the power to make wise living possible. 
And if you're listening so far here or online and you think, wow, this message is such a downer. You're telling me I need to do more. I need to try harder. I need to add things to my life. That sounds like bad news. I'm barely hanging on as it is. Maybe, you know what? Maybe my life won't have staying power. Maybe I'll just be decimated by storms because I don't think I can dig that deep. I'm barely making it as it is. And friends, this is not another message on trying harder. If we look at the teachings of Jesus as just another thing to do, as another thing to try harder to do, the Sermon on the Mount could be interpreted as like the ultimate legalism. Just try harder. And I have to say, I feel like religious people are really good at trying harder. Right? You may have grown up thinking that you need to try harder in your spiritual life so God loves you or is happier with you. Friends, you can't do anything to make God love you anymore. You can't do anything to make God accept you anymore. You are already accepted by God in and through Jesus. Jesus is the one who reconciles us. Scripture tells us we were like sheep that went astray, and the good shepherd of our souls has come chasing after us to bring us into God's fold. We are not loved or accepted because we listen to Jesus' teaching and follow. We are loved and accepted already. In fact, coming to Christ and saying, yes, I want you to be Lord of my life. Yes, please come in. I give you consent to come into my life. Yes, birth me anew. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. We can say that because we are loved, because we are accepted. God has done all that work. We just have to say, yes, please, I give you consent. God does all that work. And the best thing God does is God fills us with God's spirit, Jesus' own spirit in us, which means it's not about us trying harder. It's rather about us living into who we truly are as children of God. Our scripture passage for today tells us that when Jesus was done teaching, people marveled because they could tell he had authority. This means that Jesus isn't just another good teacher. Jesus wasn't just giving a list of things to do, but Jesus has the power, the authority, to actually enact and birth and bring to life and dig deep in you. Jesus has the power to make all of this so amended life with God and others, a house built through the layers of sand and dirt to get to bedrock. Now, in, throughout the centuries, right, when people have looked at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, people interpret it all sorts of different ways, uh, depending you know, what school of thought you come from, um, sort of what uh, your, your tradition is. Some people look at the Sermon on the Mount and they're like, yeah, that is meant for a few people, just the people who are specially called or want to be perfect. So if you're like a priest or a called to a certain call in the church, then you're supposed to live it out. Other people said, actually, the Sermon on the Mount can't be done by anybody. It's just to show us how sinful we are. So we come running to Jesus and we're like, save me, which is good to do. And then there's another school of thought that says, actually, you are not a true disciple of Jesus unless you do this. This is showing who true disciples are and who false disciples are. So they're all a little different, right? I go with the school of thought that says the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus announcing the unconditional will of God for us to live mended lives. It's valid for all times, 
for all people. It's not just for special people or certain times. It's for all of us. And as Jesus announces this dawning kingdom of God, both present and in the future, it's possible because we don't separate Jesus from Jesus' teaching, right? If it's just teaching and just the person, or if you try to separate those out, it'd be easy to see, well, how can you do that? But the thing is, Jesus' teaching and Jesus' person go together. That's where the power comes from. The Sermon on the Mount is preached every single day as you and I live from the spirit-birthed humanity of Jesus Christ living in each one of us. The sermon is preached every single day when you wake up in the morning and you're drinking your morning drink of coffee or tea and you say, Holy Spirit, come, help me live wisely. The sermon is preached because Jesus has lived it. Jesus lived it from the beginning of his life to his very last breath that he gave to his father. And because of Jesus alive and working in the world through me, through you, through all who give God consent to come, you and I can live lives preaching this sermon on the mount. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, yeah, you know, I, I haven't. I haven't been a wise builder. You know what? You can say that. This is a safe place. We can make this a safe place. We can make this a place where we can come and say, yes, I have heard teaching of Jesus and I have not done it. We can say that. We can't say it here. Where the hell can we say it? <laughs> Like, really, this is the place to say it and to say, Holy Spirit, hurricanes have come in my life. They have knocked me flat. I need your help to dig deep. I want a life with staying power. I know I'm already saved. I want a life with staying power, one that is a benefit to me and to all those around me. Because, friends, when we live into Jesus-formed humanity for us, available through us with the Spirit. When we do that, guess who gets to benefit? Everybody. You benefit. Your coworkers benefit. Your family gets the benefit of it. Everyone you come into contact with gets the benefit. The aina, the land, gets the benefit. When we live according to Jesus' Spirit-formed humanity, breathed in us, the whole world is blessed. So there's no shame in saying, I haven't been a wise builder. We can say that. There's no shame in saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to come and build in me. Help me dig deep. I want my life to be a blessing to myself and to others. And Jesus, I trust that you are not just a wise person, but you have the power to build this in me. Build your kingdom in and through me. There's a story I read about in Christianity Today this past week, and I think I have a picture. Oh, before I get to that picture, let me read this word from Colossians. This is a good one. It says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So that's, that's Paul getting in on this action, saying, yes, dig deep, build on Jesus. Continue to live your lives in him, and that enables us to live being people who build our lives on following Jesus' commands. So we have that text, but let me get to the picture right here. This story I read this week. So this is Anatoly. He uh, was a member of, of Irpin Bible Church, 
It's a, it's a church that's northwest of um, Kiev in Ukraine. And Irpin is a place uh, where there's lots of ministries, lots of, of churches, evangelical churches. Um, here's a picture of the city as of a couple days ago, just a couple parts of it. It's a very big city. Um, if you've ever heard of like Youth with a Mission or Youth for Christ or Child Evangelism Fellowship or Samaritan's Purse, like they all have their headquarters in um, Irpin, in, this, in this, this town, this sort of suburb of um, Kiev. And um, when the invasion became, um, became clear it was going to happen, he evacuated his wife and his family out. Their church was able to get 3,000 people bused to safety. And he was part of his church's live stream team, their media team. And after he got his family to safety, he could have stayed, um, but he chose to come back. And every day he would meet with members of his church and they would go and they would shuttle as many people as they could over the border uh, or over this bridge to try to go to safety. It's a bombed out bridge. If you've seen any photos from this past week, they'll probably show you photos of this bridge. So last Sunday, a week ago from today, he was serving there at Irpin's bombed out bridge. He was helping shuttle people across and he was carrying a suitcase for a young mom and her two kids, trying to get them quickly across. Um, and they never saw him again. Till that night, they were wondering, where's, where's Anatoly? And they began looking at social media photos. And the first one showed his sneakers. The second one showed his sweater. The last photo showed his face. He was one of the four people killed, crossing the bridge last week, trying to get this young woman and her children to safety, blown up by a bomb. Anatoly's pastor, uh, Mykola Romanuk, he spoke to sources at Christianity Today. He described Anatoly as a deeply spiritual man with, quote, good Christian character. When he saw a need, he tried to help. Friends, a storm came of such huge proportions. But Anatoly, even though he didn't survive, his life has staying power. His legacy has staying power. Every single person he helped across that bridge is alive because of him. And you know what led him to do that? It was because he built a life through the sand and the soil to get to the rock. There's no other explanation for it. Character like that isn't just found one day, it's formed. He built that with Holy Spirit. So the day that it counted, the day that he needed to get people out of there again and again and again, that's where he was. That's where he was serving. They didn't have a live stream that week. Instead, he brought people across a river until he could do so no more. His life has staying power. He built wisely. We're talking about him today. We didn't even know that he existed. I didn't even know his church. I'm praying for their church now. Friends, the storm comes. Storms come of all kinds. There's a picture of the bridge. If we build our life wisely on the teachings of Jesus, not because we think we have to to be accepted or loved by God, but we build our life on the teachings of Jesus because we want a life with staying power. When storms come, we can be resilient. We can be a blessing to others. Our lives can be a gift even to our own selves. This is why we do that. And we know that we do not labor alone. We don't do any of this on our own. Holy Spirit in us, through the power and authority of Jesus, makes it so. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we are surrounded by storms of all kinds. 
Some of them we've managed to, to squeak by, but others are, are churning in our lives even now. Oh, wind and waves rising. Holy Spirit, thank you that it's not too late for us to say, help. I need your help to dig deep. I need your help to make it past the sand, to care more about what is unseen, to build a life with you, God, forming who I am so I can live a wise life, a life that is a blessing to myself, to my family, to the world. Holy Spirit, I pray you come and meet each person here right where they are at. For those who are feeling hopeless or tired or despairing, that you would breathe your fresh life and hope and strength. Lord, for those who feel like, well, I'm, I'm building pretty wisely, I pray you would also breathe your breath on us and remind us that uh, we can go further. We can keep digging with you. And just because we've, we've dug deep before and maybe not for a while, um, it's an invitation to come back. Come back home to you, you who are building our true home, building us up, building our home in heaven. Holy Spirit, regardless of where we are today, we come to you and we ask that you move. We give you consent to build with us, to dig deep. May our lives have staying power through you, good God and creator. In Jesus' name, amen.